0: That well-being at work show is brought to you by Body Boost, the well-being engagement platform that employees actually use. Find out more at bodyboost.co.uk.
1: I lost my sight. I registered blind back in 2008 and the world completely changed for me. I, one day I was just regular old Sandy, you know, hopping down the street. And the next day I was blind. I was disabled. I was disabled. I was invalid. I was suddenly a, a lesser person. And the whole world changed the way it looked at me. And that was pretty horrific.
2: Equality, diversity and inclusion is central to employee well-being. As humans, we know that we're at our most creative, productive, resilient and joyful when we can bring our whole selves to work. We can also reveal our vulnerabilities, our fears and our imperfections. We can be our whole selves. So how can organisations create that safe space for us to be who we really are? Sandy Wasmer is the Chief Executive of the Employers Network for Equality and Inclusion, or ENEI for short. ENEI supports employers of all shapes and sizes, from the Bank of England and Belfort Beatty to Primark and Pfizer, as they embark on their DE&I journey. In this interview, Sandy Wasmer describes her own experience of surviving discrimination. She lost her sight in 2008, and suddenly the world saw her and treated her less favourably. However, she credits this devastating blow as giving her renewed energy and enthusiasm to campaign with even greater zeal for a fairer, more inclusive and equal workplace. Um, Sandy, welcome to the show. Could you tell me a little bit about the Employers Network for Equality and Inclusion? What's the purpose of the organisation and and what is it that you do?
1: Well, um, we work around equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So we support employers to make their workplaces more diverse and inclusive. So we're a membership organisation, And we also offer training consultancy services. So we offer a range of membership services where we have lots of fantastic online resources and events, and we support members throughout their inclusion journey. So whether it's somebody, uh, an organization just starting out on their inclusion journey and thinking, oh gosh, what's the Equality Act and how do I comply with it, through to people who are in a very mature state of uh, equality, diversity, inclusion and have these wonderful cultures of inclusion and belonging. So we support organizations throughout.
2: What's what's driving, would you say, the DE&I agenda? Do you think some organizations look at this as a bit of a box ticking exercise? Does that worry you if they do that?
1: Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, people have to start somewhere. And, you (laughs) you know, when you're starting on your equality, diversity, inclusion journey, you know, the start is in the UK, particularly the Equality Act. And understanding the Equality Act, understanding how to how to properly support and make sure that people with the, with the protected characteristics aren't discriminated against, is a really great place to start. And you know, people people are at different stages in the maturity of their organization, and their organization's culture, size, complexity, workforce. So you know. I think it's, it's fine that people are going to start there, but you know, the, the the reality is when you, um, when you just comply with something, then you comply with something. It doesn't necessarily give room for creativity and innovation. So what we want to do is to work with organizations to create really fabulous cultures where they acquire uh, and support and nurture the best talent. And that's, you know, invariably, uh, a diverse workforce, and where those people feel a true sense of belonging, they feel they can bring their whole selves to work. They feel that they are psychologically safe, and so it, you know, it, it, it's it's a journey. It's getting from that compliance point to actually being a mature organization, which has an inclusive culture, and people are at different stages of that journey. So we'll support anyone, you know, anyone who's saying, look, I want to, I want to get on board. You know, you, you, you can't be you can't be so prescriptive to say, "Well, that person just wants to comply and they're just box ticking." Well, that's 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 okay. Let, let's let's get them through the process. Let's get them through the journey. And and okay. you know it's really difficult if you are saying to people, um, "Well, you know, you just want to comply, you just want to box tick." Therefore, we won't support you. Is 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 stopping somebody from actually learning and growing and evolving their organization? And it's okay. I think we have to be okay with people who are not completely mature. People who are on the journey and people who are doing their best. Maybe it isn't perfect. That's got to be okay. I think we need to be a lot more forgiving here.
2: Okay. Okay. And do you think that certain sections of the media give the Equality Act rather a bad name?
1: Oh, well, the media gives everything (laughs) a bad (laughs) name. Said that, um, but, uh, but I think that, you know, the media is really interesting and particularly the kind of um, media environment we live in right now, you know, with social media, with everybody having a voice. And so, you know, our agenda, uh, equality, diversity, inclusion, belonging, all of those things are extremely polarised and extremely politicised with a big and a small p. And so, you know, the media, I think, in some instances, help because they they shine a light on social inequalities and social injustices necessarily, but they also can do us a disservice. Because mm-hmm. if you if you have a particular agenda and you have a, a view that perhaps conflicts with somebody else's, you know, you can be cancelled. And that's not necessarily helpful. And I think we need to be able to hold differing views and differing opinions as long as they're not harmful and allow us to explore the different ways people think, the different ways people see the world, the different ways people operate and do that in a really kind and compassionate way. I just think that that we can't live in a blame culture. So the Equality Act is what it is. It's a good piece of legislation. We do have some rights, which is, you know, fairly mature. If you look around the world, we have, it's a good piece of legislation, but it also requires people to be socially responsible. And that's, you know, where the media also needs to be socially responsible. So as human beings, we're responsible to each other and we need to make sure that we can support each other to, to live and to be happy and productive and live fulfilled lives. And we have to do that through social responsibility. Laws will not do that. Laws don't create a just society. People do.
2: Okay. I mean, the other big thing that, that, that sort of at, at the moment in terms of organizations and HR people is, is also is, is well-being. And, and I wanted to explore with you a little bit. What's the link then between diversity, equality, inclusion and well-being? How, how does that link work? Or is there a link?
1: There is an absolute link. Um, You know, if you're thinking in the way that we're thinking about people being able to bring their whole selves to work and being psychologically safe and feeling that sense of belonging, whoever they are, wherever they come from, whatever their protected characteristic is, or whether, whether they have characteristics that fall outside of protected characteristics like social inclusion or gender identity. So there's other things that fall outside of the Equality Act. So it's making sure that people feel Psychologically safe at work and well-being is is key. The link to well-being and belonging is really important to understand because when people feel connected to other human beings and they feel a sense of belonging, that's a, a key component of emotional well-being. And so, obviously, well-being is far greater than emotional. You have emotional well-being, psychological well-being,
0: mm. uh, financial
1: well-being, spiritual well-being. So there's lots of different types of well-being. But when you're thinking about people's well-being at work. Um, having them feel safe, having that feel that sense of belonging and allowing them to be ultimately as happy as they can at work because happy people are more productive and that's just better for business. So the link between well-being and, and equality, diversity inclusion is, is, is essential.
2: Okay. And when, and when we sort of say making somebody feel safe at work, what, what, what do we mean by that?
1: Psychological safety. So it's making them feel they can be exactly who they are that they're not afraid, they're not in fear of being discriminated against, that they can be open, and open is also, um, you know, a bit of a continuum, so as open as they're comfortable being. But not Feeling afraid to be just who they are, to be able to be yourself. I mean, I, you know, if you saw me in the street, uh, and you saw me in my house, and you saw me at work, you're going to get the same Sandy. And that's really important for people to feel that way. It's, it's it's a much more modern approach to work. I think when I started in the workforce, you were, you know, you kept your personal stuff at home. It's I'm not saying that you bring all your problems to work and dump them on your colleagues, but uh, you know, have to be able to be who you are. And if you're having a bad day, you know, just own it. just say look I'm not having a great day and this is happening and it's about just being a human being wherever you are and that's really important
2: okay and, and what what can organizations do then to foster that sense of psychological safety
1: oh, it's about culture it's about leadership um, okay. it's about you know, it, it needs to absolutely needs to come from the top uh, and it, and it really is about culture you can put lots of policies in place and you can have you can have lots of initiatives you um, and and programs, which is the same actually for 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 ED and I, you can have lots of programs in place, but unless the culture is right and it comes from the top, and the leaders are ultimately saying this matters to us, and you know, and 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 we want to make sure that all employees feel that sense of belonging because for example if you say to people well, we don't expect you to work crazy hours we want you to have a flexible work environment and yet the leaders are all working 100-hour weeks and expecting other people to well that's you know there's a policy in place but the practice isn't the same and so it's about making sure that the culture is is a culture where people are able to be the most productive and a lot of the things that that you know we've seen over the past couple of years you know we now know that we can work hybrid or flexible, and that people don't need to be chained to their desks. So, you know, it's all about productivity over presenteeism. And it's about making sure that that human being, which is ultimately coming to work, if they're not an employee, you're a human being. And that human being that's coming to work is being who they are and able okay. to feel comfortable and able to have the complexities of their human life in the workplace and feel that, that, that they're not gonna be discriminated against or they're not gonna be, um, be not supported. And so, you know, it's it's yes, of course, you need the right policies in place and and compliance with the equality. All of those things matter. But what really matters probably more than anything is culture.
2: Um, we're recording this in the week that um, um, a young football player has come out um, and he's sort of the first, um, you know, footballer that's come out for you know something like 30 years. And he's 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 playing for a, um, a football team. And I mean, this this is a big seminal moment, do you think? Absolutely. Uh, you know. We, so my
1: son's gay. And so we've been discussing this a lot in our household. Um, and yeah, of course, it's fantastic. It is, it's, it's what we need. We need these role models coming out in those environments and saying, yeah, I understand that this environment has historically been pretty homophobic, but you know what? I'm gay and I'm proud. Fantastic. It's just where we need to be. And we just need more and more and more of it. I mean, people just need to be who they are. So that fantastic young man, he's 17 years old, you know, and he's been able to say, you know what? This is who I am. And this is, this is it. And that's exactly what we need to be. We just need to be who we are.
2: Okay. So he's then a really good example then of being who you are in his place of work and his place of work is, is, is kicking a football around.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's absolutely terrific. And it's been really disheartening to know that, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, sports, so I'm not a big sports person. Sorry. (laughs) A lot of sports are inherently homophobic, racist, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and so this is, it's it, its really important. I mean, it, yes, it's a seminal moment for football because it hasn't happened before. But to me, it's a continuum of everything that's been happening. And long may it continue. It's fantastic.
0: If you're frustrated that not enough of your people take advantage of the well-being resources you've put in place for them, then look no further than Body Boost. Our unique body system and community features are the magic ingredients which get people to team up and form healthy habits together. And they have a lot of fun along the way too. Download case studies from our website or email us on info at bodyboost.co.uk
2: in in terms of the the activities that the ENEI is working on at the moment, I mean, what 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 are the major things that the organisation is doing that you can outline for us?
1: Well, we're do, well, we're doing so much. You know, we work across all nine protected characteristics, and um, and we also give parity to other things that aren't protected characteristics, such as social inclusion, gender identity, and appearance. So, you know, whether you've got tattoos or whether you've got piercings or whether you got you know blue hair or whatever it is so you know we look at all anything where a person can be discriminated against uh has parity with us so it isn't just about compliance with the equality act and what we're what we're working on is we're we're in a period now where we launched our new three-year strategy in april and we're really working towards hanging all of the work that we do around more about inclusion and belonging we understand that diversity equality these things matter they're part of the mix but what we're what we are trying to do is to understand things from a few different lenses so the goal the goal to be rather than complying with the Equality Act. So rather than it being about compliance and sort of transactional kind of activities, to move it towards being about culture change and more transformational kind of work. So where you're transforming an organization's culture in and around EDI and i So that's a, a different approach than we've had historically. But we're also looking at things from different lenses. So we're looking at our work through the different lenses of the Uh, protected characteristics and beyond, and we're also looking at it in terms of how we support our members and our clients through the uh, inclusion journey. So we're looking at making sure that people who are, you know, just coming into the journey, they've got the right support they need and throughout to maturation. So we're making sure that people are supported in every step of the way and that we celebrate them wherever they're at in the journey every step of the way and the other thing that we're doing is we're looking at it through the employee life cycle so the employee journey so we're looking at making sure everything is right and in place for our for our employer customers so we're making sure that you know when you when an employer thinks about hiring they're 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 putting the job description together correctly they're looking at um how to make sure that that Even the job description process and job specification is inclusive through to recruitment, advertising, then interview, onboarding, then getting someone into work and making sure that when they're in work, they're supported, that they're that they're that they're able to be just who they are in the workplace, and that then progression opportunities are available. And looking at the whole life cycle, and even you know, in terms of inclusion, when somebody decides to leave your organization, how you support them through the next level of their career. So it's mm. just it's everything we're looking at through 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 so many different lenses, and trying okay. to make sure that we have we have it in the round.
2: Just picking up on the recruitment um, aspect that you mentioned. Um, I was a recruiter for for a number of years, and I used to deal with a number of clients, and they would feedback to me about a candidate that wasn't successful, and they said, you know what, It wasn't really a culture fit. And there's not very far you can go with that. And I think probably at the time, I should have challenged it, and I hold my hands up, and I didn't really challenge it. And I sort of now come around to the conclusion that actually, it's such a weak excuse, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, culture fit's interesting. Fitting to what?
2: What does it mean? I mean, you know, he or she's not our culture. They're not our culture. And actually, some people would say, well, actually, you know, the the idea if you want to have a diverse workforce is actually is you is the counterclaim. Actually, you need to you know recruit people who don't normally or don't look like or don't sound like, um, you know, the rest of the workforce that you have. Is that something that you that you sort of work with?
1: Yep, we do. And so we refer to it rather than culture fit as cultural contribution. So right. somebody who's coming into your organization is going to think differently. So it's it's around uh, diversity in terms of the you know in, in terms of the equality act, but it's around diversity of thought and diversity of approaches and creativity and a whole bunch of other things that when you're looking at bringing in talent. So we like to think of it at E and as uh, as you know making a cultural contribution. So what kind of contribution is that person going to come and make to our culture? What type of positive contribution? Fit is. It's, just, it's almost historical because an organization continues to evolve. And mm. if you're aspiring towards being an inclusive culture, then you need to think about it completely differently. You need to think about it as, 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 as bringing people in to make a cultural contribution. And, you know, if you want people to have certain qualities that um, chime with your values, then that's great you know then let them know what your values are and and you know and and use that through the recruitment process to understand that they that that you know that they share your values because when you have someone in an organization doesn't share your values that can be hugely problematic but cultural fit it's mm, sometimes i mean sometimes it's a thing but a lot of the time it's it it, it's it's a, a disguised way to discriminate against people and it's pretty awful
2: yeah, I mean, I was just thinking at the time when people used to say it to me, is a, I think it was just a lazy excuse, to be honest, because um, there was something about the individual they didn't like and do not, they couldn't really be bothered to give me the feedback. Um, that was It was just a lazy excuse, um, which is a shame, um, because actually you, you can't really go back to the candidate with that. You know, you're not a cultural fit because it doesn't really mean anything. If you're a candidate looking for a job, you think, well, what does that mean to me? I don't know. Well, you know, what, what didn't they like about me? You know? Well,
1: I guess people take it as... as, as it's not the right place for me, but mm-hmm. you need to know why, you know, and there's a responsibility of employers when you are recruiting people to give appropriate feedback as to why that candidate wasn't successful. Cause what you want to do, if you're an ethical employer is to support that candidate in getting a job wherever it is, whether, well, if, whether it's with you, or not, the person isn't right. You know, you, it, 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 it's extremely lazy and uh, to, to not do that, to say, Oh, well, they just didn't fit, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's really important that you can substantiate your decisions yeah, You know, someone comes back in a year's time to understand why you made that decision.
2: Yeah, well, there might be a customer one day. You know, who knows? <laughs> you know, you never know. Now, what's your story then, Sandy? Because, I mean, how long have you been at ENEI? E- 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 year and a half. Well, okay. what were you doing before?
1: Uh, I was at uh, a, a, ch- a charity called Jewish Care, a social care charity called Jewish Care.
2: Okay. And you hail from Canada?
1: Oh, gosh, like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here. Very, I've been here. Very, I do hail from Canada. And I haven't lost my accent. I've been in the UK a very long time. Most more, more of my life than I was in Canada.
2: Okay. And um, is there anything in particularly in, in in your life that's really sort of driven you to where you are now? I, I was just sort of okay. thinking that actually had you come across, had you been discriminated against yourself? I wondered, and had you yeah. know had it been been an awkward, you know, had had you experienced that yourself, and therefore this is something that that's really really important to you because it sounds like it is really important to you.
1: It's extremely important to me, and I live this life every day. So there's a few things, I guess, that influence. My mom's a social anthropologist, so right. I grew up with equality and human rights in, in my blood. Uh, it's always something that I've understood. So I, I've never really understood discrimination on a personal level. I, I don't fe- ever feel that I discriminate against anybody. And so it's something that I've never really understood. But um, really, for me, it's quite personal. Uh, I lost my sight. I registered blind in, back in 2008, And the world completely changed for me. I Mm -hmm. One day I was just regular old Sandy, you know, hopping down the street and the next day I was blind. I was disabled, I was disabled, I was invalid. I was suddenly a a lesser person and the whole world changed the way it looked at me. And that was pretty horrific. And so through that time, I also a year later got diagnosed with ADHD. So I, I, which I clearly had all my life, but just didn't know it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, from there, um, I experienced significant discrimination. I'm a long cane user, so people can see that I'm blind when I'm coming, uh, and it's 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 changed my life. But interestingly enough, it's changed my life for the better, because I had an experience when when I lost my sight, I I my mental health got really poor, uh, and so I got myself well, which was fantastic. But through that time, I discovered a different Sandy. I, I guess I discovered the person that I always was inside, and. I'm comfortable now being vulnerable. I'm much more open. The And I guess this is also talking about well-being because an important part of well-being is to be an integrated self where the person on the inside and the person on the outside are the same. The things that you think and you say and you do are the same. And I think that for a very long time, I was putting myself out there as the person I thought I was supposed to be rather than being the person that I am. And losing my sight has helped me integrate as a human being. And so a lot of people will ask me, do you, you know, do you want your sight back? And I said, well, yes and no. Yes, because I'd love to be able to see, but no, because um, I've had this experience and I'm a far better human being for it. And so the combination of the, um, of the uh, human rights activist in me, which was always there from childhood, then this actually happening to me personally has been, it's an enormous driver. I have a fire in my belly about this work and I always will. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of my life um, trying to make the world a more inclusive place.
2: Wow. I mean, that's that's an amazing story, because actually, as you say, you know, particularly losing your sight. I mean, that is, uh, is uh, you know, that's a hugely frightening thing for anyone to experience, isn't it?
1: It was. It was really ch- it was really hard. And now it's not even a thing. I mean, now it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it, you know, you talk about resilience, you know, it took me a while to bounce back from this. But um, it's amazing, actually, how resilient and adaptable human beings really are. Because I, you know, when I lost my sight, I thought my life was over. I thought my my husband and son would be better off without me. My mental health went down the drain, um, you know. And then I've managed to bounce back and bounce back much stronger. And it's incredible, I mean, you know, of course I'm blind. you can see that I'm blind because I use a cane. Um, you know, and I I often have to adapt to the world and and and, and do things slightly differently, uh, you know, whether that's taking cabs rather than going on the tube or using technology that you know my computer speaks to me, that sort of stuff. But you know the reality is is it is it, I, it it's not a thing, it doesn't cause me any stress. Uh, I'm pretty relaxed about it. It's just something that it's part of me now.
2: okay. OK. And when we talk about things like resilience training in the workplace, is that something that you think is a good idea?
1: I've never experienced resilience training myself, so I can't really speak to it or its efficacy. Um, I've heard, you know, different things about it. Look, I think resilience is really important, but it, it's, it's a key component of well-being. Um, you know, resilience is, is ultimately, you know, in a snapshot how, how, how quickly and well you bounce back. Uh, it's not about not having stress or not experiencing stress and I guess any of these things when you think about how people experience stress people's emotional well-being resilience all of this stuff it's really really personal because people come from so many different backgrounds they're they're you know, their mental state, their psychological state, you know, how they cope with things in general. So resilience kind of fits into that. For me, that fits into that mental health and well-being mix. And it's, yeah. it, you know, resilience is just a, a really important part of it. So I'm not entirely sure about resilience training on its own. I guess I'd have to experience it.
2: No, I mean, I was just, I was talking to, on, on a previous podcast with um, Stephen Bevan from the Institute for Employment Studies. Um, and we talked a little bit about mental health, mental health first aiders at work. And we talked a little bit about, resilience training and he said that actually as interventions they can be very useful um and people seem to get a lot out of them but it's it's a bit like any sort of training that anyone's ever been on that if you then return to the to the workplace and actually nothing has really ever changed or you can't put it into practice you kind of lose what you learned um so i think that you know and that links back very much to what you said i think at the beginning and actually this is very much a leadership thing isn't it and it has to come from the top
1: yeah, you know, um, it, it, any type of training anyone does, which is around ultimately behavior, how we work together. So, it, you know, if you think about whether it's resilience training, mental health first aid or or, you know, um, anti-racism training or unconscious bias training, any of these things, they're really good to provoke thought and to make you and to make you consider things and reflect and consider things differently. But you've got to be able to put them into practice in an organization that supports that. So if you've gone off and done some training, come back to your organization, there's no support for it. You'll just, you'll lose the skill. So, you know, it's all about how the culture supports all of these things and making sure ultimately that people are at the center of everything. You know, a lot of organizations put profit before people. And I think that we're coming into, hopefully for us, but hopefully for the world, that we're coming into a world where people are not putting Um, organizations are not putting um, profits before people. They're actually looking at it from, you know, getting the balance of human value and economic value. It's gotta be the same. I mean, if we're coming out of the pandemic with anything, it's, you know, just how important other people are, just what really matters is other people. And of course, businesses need to make money and profits. All those things are really important, but it can't be done at the price of humanity.
2: Sandy Wassmuth, thank you very much indeed.
0: Thank you for listening to that well-being at work show. To listen to more episodes and to find out more on how Body Boost can drive engagement in your well-being programs, go to our website or email us on info@bodyboost.co.uk.